I was thinking something about this past week. I was thinking, I don't know about you, but you go through Christmas and you think, what does it look like for me to actually have like a, a Christ-centered Christmas? Like when you think about, you know, you've got all the decorations and you've got the gifts under the tree. And, and I, I mean, for us, it's kind of like, well, you know, we wake up and then we read, you know, Luke chapter 2. We read the Christmas story and then we open up gifts. And then we play with our gifts. And then dad spends all the time putting all the gifts together for the kids so they can go and, and play with their toys. Um, and then we go and we, 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 we bake the ham and we get the ham all ready. Um, I know some of you are turkey people. We talked about this. I'm praying for you. But we've got the ham all ready. Um, and, and then we pray over the meal. And then we eat the meal. And then we eat the pumpkin pie. And then we take a nap on the couch. And we're kind of like, this is a like Christ-centered Christmas celebration. And I I just began to wrestle through, like if I'm really going to have a a Christ-centered Christmas celebration, what does that look like for me? Does that mean that maybe I'm not supposed to have Christmas gifts? Like maybe that's the way I make Christ the center of my Christmas by not opening gifts. Or or, or maybe uh, maybe throughout the day I need to be somber and really solemn. You know, really spend a lot of time just not celebrating with the family, but just being in somber uh, memory about Jesus and his birth. Question I began wrestling through is, what does it mean, what does God expect of me? When I get ready to celebrate Christmas and I want to celebrate with the family, I want to do these things, what does it look like for me to have a Christ-centered Christmas? What does God expect from me? This past December, we've been uh, in a series where we're looking at Christmas carols. We're looking at these songs that many of us grew up uh, singing uh, we're listening to the songs that we've listened to the radio uh, for the last month. We've heard these carols playing over and over again. These carols that we're very familiar with, but oftentimes we kind of skip out on the lyrics. And, and so today, I'm going to look at the, the Christmas carol, um, O Come, Let Us Adore Him. We just sang it here just a minute ago. Uh, this Christmas carol uh, was originally written in Latin, and it was called um, Adeste Fidelis. It was written first by, by John Francis Wade. He wrote it in Latin in 1744, I believe was the date. Uh, in 1841, it was translated into English by a guy by the name of Frederick Oakley. And I know some of you are writing this down because you will remember this for years to come. Great. But he wrote this song, O Come, Let Us Adore Him. And I think about this. I think about that word adore. What does that word adore mean? Because you, you hear this refrain, this chorus, Oh, come, let us adore him. This word adore is a verb. And if you were looking in your regular dictionary, here's the definition of that word adore. It is to regard with an utmost esteem, to love, to respect, to honor. The second definition is that it is something that you pay divine honor to. It is to worship. That song is about letting us come and worship Christ the Lord. I think about where does that song come from? Where does, where does the author, where does he get this idea, oh, come let us worship, oh, come let us adore? It actually comes from the very two witnesses that saw the birth of Christ. You think about the shepherds. We, we heard the story about the shepherds last week. The shepherds, uh, they came, uh, the angel came and spoke to them. They said, listen, you've got to go see this. This, this, this Savior's been born. In Bethlehem in a manger. And they go to Bethlehem. They find Mary. And they find Joseph. And they find the baby laying in a manger. And in Luke chapter 2 verse 20 says. This is what happened after they saw the birth of Jesus. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God. For all they had seen and heard. As it had been told to them. 
glorifying and praising God, I think that means they adored him. I think that means they worshiped him. And what about the second witness to the birth of Christ? Now, obviously, we're going to look at the wise men. I know some of you say the wise men belong on the other side of the room. And it's true, they do. But they're still part of the Christmas story. All right? And so the wise men, the Magi, Matthew chapter 2, they've traveled to Jerusalem. They've traveled to Bethlehem looking for this newborn baby. And they say in verse 2 of Matthew 2, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. They've followed the star all the way from, from the far east uh, to a far foreign land. They've come to uh, Jerusalem looking for this baby. And they say, well, he's in Bethlehem. And so the wise men, they follow the star to Bethlehem. And in verse 11, it says, going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. Then opening up their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So you got these two witnesses to the birth of Christ. And what do both of these groups of witnesses do? They adore him. They worship him. Oh, come, let us adore him. And I think as I wrestle with my own idea, what, how do I make Christmas not about the gifts? And how do I make it a Christ-centered celebration? I think the key is right there. I think that the right response to the birth of Christ, the right response to Christmas is worship. Not that we can't open gifts, not that we can't have ham, not that we can't put all the toys together, but that we would worship the baby in the manger. The reality is there's this, this, this worship war within our soul. Every one of us, we have this, this worship war going on inside of us. It's been said that, that every one of us uh, worships, but not all of us worship rightly. Isn't that true? When we worship something, we are giving that something value. We are saying, hey, I, I worship you because you are, are, are worth something to me. I mean, all these things that we can worship. I mean, some of us, we worship our house, right? Some of us, we have this house. And if we hear anybody's going to come over, what are we going to do? We're going to grab all the kids and we're going to make the kids clean the house spotless. Like if somebody's coming over, like we've got to have the house look good. Because I don't want someone to come in and see my dirty socks on the floor. Or my, my kids' toys spread everywhere. Or the, the dinner plates from last night still on the counter. Like we get our house picked up and cleaned up because we want people to say, hey, look how beautiful your house is. We've got to live in the right location. We've got to have all this time and effort that we put towards our house. It's a worship thing. We have a car. Some of you have that car. Some of you have that car because you've named your car. Your car has a name. Usually it's a girl's name. But your car has a name, right? I know some of you, you say, well, I, I, park, I park my car at the far end of the parking lot. So that way somebody doesn't ding it. And you say, well, I'm just, I'm just trying to protect my car. No, that's called worship. That's called worship of a car. Some of you, you have children. And let's just be honest. Your life revolves around those kids. Anything they want, anytime they need it, you're there. In fact, you find yourself, uh, your, your schedule and your time being constricted where you can't do other things. You can't, you know, maybe have your own life. Maybe you can't do all in church because you've got these kids. And your life revolves around your kids. All these things that we worship, money, sports teams, it is possible. I know some of us need to repent of this for us to worship the Seahawks. 
At least it's not the Cowboys, but I mean, it's possible for us to, to worship our sports teams. For some of us, we worship the appearance. We've got to look all together. We've got to be just right. We've got to make sure we do things just right because of what people's opinion of us matters, which is why we're very careful what happens on social media. Social media is kind of our highlight reel. Look how great we are without showing the reality of what's underneath. See, the things that you pursue in your life or the things that you find you would be lacking if you had without, man, that's worship. We are, are made to worship. Whether you know it or not, we are worshipers. And listen, these things, uh, the house and the car and the money and all those things, listen, those things are, are, are bad in themselves. But those things are bad gods. They're not bad in themselves, they're just bad gods. And what I find is most of us, uh, most of us in life, we're guilty of one of two things, okay? We're guilty of uh, giving good worship to a bad God, right? We're guilty of giving really good worship to all these bad gods. Or we become guilty, if you're a Christian for a while, we become guilty of giving bad worship to a good God. And have you ever seen that? That's when you show up to church and you kind of just go through the motions, you show up to church and maybe a couple minutes late, they get ready and they're singing the songs and you're just standing there with your arms crossed, just kind of watching and observing what's happening. Pastor starts preaching and you're pulling out the phone, checking out the fantasy football scores, checking out Instagram, who's checked in where, who's doing what. When you think about that, do you realize that you have an opportunity to experience the very presence of God in church, you have the ability to experience the presence of God. You have the opportunity to express your love and gratitude to your Savior. Yeah, I think there's times that we give really bad worship to a really good God. It plays out in our life. It plays out in our life where, where occasionally, occasionally in our life, we're going to offer a little bit of acknowledgement to God. Oh yeah, God, I, I'm going to pray before I eat. But the reality is, we really are the captain of our own ship. Like, God, I'm going to acknowledge you once in a while, but really, God, I'm in charge of my life. I'm driving the ship. I'm in the driver's seat. See, there's this worship war within all of our souls where we are, are, are having this battle inside of us on what are we going to worship? What are we going to give the most value to that's going to drive our life? The Christmas story is something that should point us to, to worshiping God, should point us to being God, being ultimate in our life. And when we look at this idea of, of the shepherds, they came and they worshiped the baby in the manger. We look at the wise men, two years later, by the way. They come and they, they worship Jesus. Why do they do this? Why are we here today? Why am I going to have an opportunity to, to ask you to worship God today? Why does it matter? Why should we worship him? We have an answer today from Hebrews chapter 12. If you have a Bible, I invite you to open to Hebrews chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, uh, the words will be on the screen behind me. You're welcome to follow along in that way. In Hebrews chapter 12, the author is talking about things that are created. He's saying the things of this world, those things can be shaken. Those things can be taken away. That's true, right? We think about all those bad gods that we tend to worship. Let, let, all those things can be taken away. 
the money, the house, the car, the children, they can be taken away. But Hebrews 12 gives us a reason why we still worship today. Why those wise men worship Jesus then and why you and I are going to worship today. Verse 28. Despite things that can be shaken and taken away, the author says, therefore, let us be grateful. See, one of the things we have to understand is that gratitude is a bridge. Gratitude is a gateway to worship. You want to worship? It starts with having uh, gratitude in your heart. Gratitude is, is the fuel that leads to worship. Because when you find yourself being grateful, when you find yourself being thankful, listen, that's where praise and worship and acknowledgement and adoration, it comes from. It comes from thankfulness. And as you think about your last year, one of the things that Jake and I were talking about this morning through the huddle is, is when you think about 2018, what are the things that you are thankful for? When you look back at this past year, what are the things that God has done in your life? What are the areas that God has showed up? What are the areas that God has been faithful to you? Man, I have a sister-in-law, and, and we went over to her house this week to, to do some Christmas stuff. And, and I love, because at my sister-in-law's house, she's got this little uh, table. And on this table is this notebook. And it's a gratitude journal. And her and her family and her kids and her husband, they write down things that we're grateful for. And every time I go, I look and I see what's on that list. That list is over a thousand long right now. Of things their family is grateful. Listen, what's on your list this year? See, I get the privilege of, of being the pastor. And so I get the privilege of knowing people's stories. I get the privilege of, of hearing the amazing things that God has done. In fact, this year we're celebrating a lot of marriages. There are, are, are people who were married this year. And it was great to be a part of that story. There are marriages in here that are being redeemed and restored. Because God is at work. I get to be a part of that. That's exciting. That's something that God is doing right here. We have a burgeoning nursery here at Restoration Church. That's exciting. That's, that's good. Keep doing what you're doing, church. Let me say that. You think about all the things you can be thankful for. Your job, your health, uh, whatever God has done. Make that list this year. Make that list this week. Man, here's all the things I can be thankful to God for. But I also want to have this little bit of a caution because I recognize that even though some of us are going to have a long list, man, here's all the great things that God has done. Man, for some of us, this has been a hard year. For some of you, you're looking and saying, man, I just don't have much to be grateful for right now. Like when I hear that word shaken, like that's my entire year. My entire year felt like it was being shaken from the top down. For some of us, we have those relationships that are no longer there, and we feel alone. Maybe for us, the marriage didn't work out. The significant other didn't work out. There are some of us in here that you've been hurt this year. You've been wronged by somebody, and they've hurt you deeply, and you feel like there is a, a, a part of you that was now lost because of what was done to you. For some of you, you've got the grades that are slipping You've got the work that seems like isn't working out. You kind of feel like I'm, I'm losing my grip on the future. Like this job, this, 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 these grades, I need them to be good so I have that future. And you feel like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm losing my grip on the future. For some of you, you've got the mental health struggles. You've got the mental health difficulty. And it's not 
losing a grip on the future, you feel like you're losing a grip on life itself. To be honest, as I think about this last year, I lost my mom. My mom passed away. The reality is when you lose someone you love, it's kind of like everybody else moves on, except for you. You've still got that hole inside of you. And everybody else moves on, but there's still that emptiness. And some of you, that's where you are. You still have that hole inside of you. And you feel it every day. It's a reminder. Listen, if you're here and you're saying, man, I just, I just don't know if I have anything to be grateful for. Man, Hebrews is going to point us to something that every one of us have the opportunity to be grateful for. Because here's what the author says. Verse 28, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That the author of Hebrews is saying, listen, we can be grateful because the reason that baby in the manger came. That baby in the manger was Emmanuel, God with us. And the reason he came was to give us a kingdom that cannot be shaken. A kingdom that cannot be taken away from you. That the rest of your life, all those things can be shaken. Your grades can be shaken. Family members can be shaken. Your money can be shaken. But there's a kingdom. There's a relationship that cannot be shaken from you. That's the purpose. That's the reason why God sent that baby in a manger. See what the world tells us. The world tells us that that we are what we do. That what we do matters. And so we have this mentality. We have this sense in our life. That our satisfaction in life. That our acceptance from God comes because if we're good enough. And so we have these mentalities that, man, I've got to be a good enough employee. I've got to be a good enough spouse. I've got to be a good enough parent. I've got to be a good enough friend. I've got to be a good enough student. And and even bear with me, I've got to be a good enough Christian. Because if I can be good enough, then God will be pleased with me. And then things will be okay. Then my life will feel satisfied and complete and I'll have peace. In fact, we're often taught, we're often taught that the way other people view us is an affirmation that we are good enough. If people just view us in the right sense, man, that'll just prove, hey, I am good enough. And so what do we do? We begin to fake it. We begin to hide the junk and just show the good side of us. That's what we do on social media because we feel like we have to be good enough. But I want, I want us to understand this morning is, is all those things that we think make us good enough, all of those things can be shaken, right? All those things can be taken from you. Listen, you don't have any control of those things. You don't have any control. Any control that you have is an illusion. There's no control. Try as hard as you can. All those things can be taken from you. And this is why Hebrews is pointing us to a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Pointing us to the gospel. The gospel says that our our salvation, our our eternity, our acceptance from God, our our forgiveness, the, the peace that we long for in our life, the satisfaction, the joy, is not based on what you do. Because we can never do enough. We can never be good enough. It's based on what Jesus has done. That Jesus came and he lived the perfect life that as hard as we try, none of us can live. That he he died for our sins. Listen, he didn't die for his sins. He didn't have any sins. He died for our sins. Every selfish thought that we've had, every every lie, every, every bad word we uttered, 
Every, every time we knew the right thing to do, we did the wrong thing. Um, every time that we, we let somebody have it, whether we did it verbally to their face or whether we mumbled underneath our breath. Every one of those sins Jesus took on himself, he paid the penalty for. And then he died and he rose from the grave, conquering sin and death and hell and Satan and anything that would keep us away from God. That's what Jesus has done for us. And that is the kingdom that cannot be shaken. The kingdom is for those of us who who recognize, man, I'm not good enough. I can never be good enough. The kingdom of God that can't be shaken is for those who, who don't think they have control. For those who have given control up to God. Okay, God, I get it. You're in charge, not me. We have the privilege of receiving a kingdom, a, a relationship that cannot be shaken, that cannot be taken away from us. And that kingdom becomes our identity. That our identity becomes changed because of what Christ has done for us. Again, if our identity is tied to what we do, if our identity is tied to us being a good enough employee or a good enough student or a good enough parent or good enough whatever, listen, that can be shaken. But when your identity is tied to what God has done, and that can't be shaken at all. And what it means is the world might look at you and say, listen, you're broken. Your family might look at you and say, look, look, you're a failure. You might have the scars all over your body to remind you of all the screw-ups you did in your life. But when you understand what Christ has done for you, when you come into a relationship with him, listen, you're not known by those things. Now you're known by what God has done for you. Where no longer are you the lady with the mental health issues. No longer are you the parent who can't control their kids. No longer are you the person who threw your marriage away. No longer are you the guy with the addiction that you cannot beat. Now you are known as a son or a daughter of God. You are known as God's beloved with whom he gave his beloved son for you. That becomes your identity and that cannot be taken away from you. And the author of Hebrews is telling us this morning, listen, we can be grateful for a kingdom that cannot be shaken from us. And what happens is when we recognize that God has given us this kingdom, this relationship. Verse 28, this is what Hebrews tells us to do. Thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship. It's a simple idea. When you understand why the baby in the manger came, Listen, God doesn't expect us to be somber on Christmas Day. God doesn't expect us to give our gifts away. He expects us to worship. And this is what we have the opportunity to do today, is to worship him. And as we get ready in a couple minutes to do some worship, I want to give you just three thoughts, three guidelines to guide our worship this morning. There should be guidelines that guide our worship in every area of our life. But today we're going to look at uh, here in church. First guideline, number one this morning, is we are to worship with awe. We worship with awe. In Hebrews, that same passage, Hebrews chapter 12, he says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. We see that word awe. That word awe is very uh, diluted in our world today because uh, we have the Lego movie, right? And the Lego movie tells us everything is awesome, right? 
Everything is awesome. And so we do. We look at everything. We say Taco Tuesday. That's awesome. We, we, we look at the Seahawks. Man, they're awesome. We, we talk about the Netflix show that we're watching. Man, you have to see this. It's awesome. Your, your, your wife says to me, honey, how do these jeans make me look? Listen, that's always a trick, okay? The answer is always awesome. They make you look awesome, honey. But do you ever notice how we use the word awesome for things that really aren't that awesome at all? We use the word awesome for, for anything that we can throw at it. The original word awe comes from the Greek and it's a word phobo. It's where we get our, our word phobia from. And what it means, it means that, there is a, that we have a reverential fear. That we have a, a reverential fear of the power of God, of the holiness of God. If we understand what awe is. Listen, awe, only God is worthy of our awe. Only God is worthy of, of awesome. I mean, we get little glimpses of it. We get little glimpses of awe when we go up into the mountains and we have the opportunity to see the summit of a mountain and look all up below us. That's a glimpse of awe. We, we, we go to the beach and we see the ocean going out for miles and it's beautiful. That's a glimpse of awe. When you see a newborn child and you get to hold a baby in your arms, that is a glimpse of awe. But listen, all those things are created. Every one of those things is created. They should point us to being great, to, to, to something being greater, to the one who, who breathed those things into existence, to the one who spoke those things into existence. He's the one that created it all. He's the one that's worthy of our awe. He's the one that we should be calling awesome. So we are to, to worship God as the creator of everything, as the one who gave us awe. We worship him with awe. And how do we do that? I wrote this verse down, Psalm 95, verse 6. Psalmist says, Oh, come, let us worship and let us bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. See, this idea of, of us kneeling down, of lowering ourselves is kind of symbolic. And symbolic of, of, of elevating him up in our life. That we decrease and we allow him to increase. And I, just in my own life, I'll tell you, there are times that I have this intimate opportunity to connect with God. Times where I feel his presence more than any other. And I'll be honest, I go to my knees because I feel like the very presence of God, like how can I stand in front of that? It's an overwhelming feeling when you understand just how great God is and you, and you feel his presence. It drops me to my knees to remind her, man, he's worthy. He is great. In fact, the wise men, they travel all that way. They come to Jesus and what do they do? They bow down before the Christ child. Remember in the gospel accounts, when, when, when Peter is called by Jesus, what does Peter do? He bows down. Revelation says, someday every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord. And what do we do? We bow down. Listen, we're all going to do it someday. We might as well start now. Bow down and recognize he's the one that is awesome. So number one guideline is we worship God with awe. Number two, 
We worship God with abandon. We worship God with abandon. King David is one of my favorite characters from the Bible. This was a guy who was, was highly blessed by God. Uh, he was described as a man after God's own heart. Listen, there's no one else that has that title. Peter, Paul, no one else has that title. Kevin, like, like no one else was given the title as a man after God's own heart, except for David. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, one of my favorite chapters, uh, he's getting ready to bring the Ark of the Covenant into, uh, uh, into the city. Now, some of you, if you've ever seen uh, Indiana Jones, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The Ark of the Covenant. That's the Ark of the Covenant we're talking about here, all right? The Ark of the Covenant, it represented God's presence. It represented the, the, the power with the presence of God. And so here's David. He conquers Jerusalem. He makes Jerusalem the capital city. And, he, and he's getting ready to bring the Ark of the Covenant into the city. To bring the presence of God to rest in the temple. And it's an exciting time for him. And verse 14 says, And David danced before the Lord with all of his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. He's in his holy underwear. He's in his holy skivvies. And he's, he's, he's worshiping Jesus. He's got the floss going on. He's got all these little dance moves. He's got, he's got the running man. He's got, he's got the whip and nene. Like he's got, like he's dancing before God. And his wife looks on and his wife's like, gosh, David, what are you doing? David, you are embarrassing me. You did the floss at church. David, David, you are humiliating yourself. David, you are king. Stop acting like a child. And here's David's response. Verse 21, he says, it was before the Lord. Listen, honey, I'm not dancing for you. I'm dancing before the Lord. And I will celebrate before the Lord. Verse 21, he says, I will make myself yet more contemptible than this. And I will be abased in your eyes. He said, listen, I don't care what you think. I'm worshiping with abandon here. Your opinion doesn't matter anymore. I'm not embarrassed. I'm not ashamed. Because I am worshiping to an audience of one. You ever think about how weird church can be sometimes? Like if you have no context for church, you'd walk in through these doors. You see this stage up here. You see these people up on a stage. And you assume those people, because they're on a stage, they must be important, right? I mean, that's why they're here. And if you have no context for church, you see these people on stage and they're singing and you assume, man, they're doing it all for me, right? Like I've come and these people are singing for me. They're performing for me. Well, let me just tell you, listen, you are not the audience. They're not performing for you. Listen, every one of us here we are a part of a holy choir. And we are here to worship to an audience of one, the almighty God. That is what we do when we worship. We're not performing. We're, we're, we're not concerned with what other people think. We're worshiping to an audience of one. And we need to come to the point that we can worship God with that abandon. I'll be honest, there was a number of years ago, my wife and I were in church. And I had this crazy overwhelming feeling like, man, I want to raise my hand. Slip it up. I'm like, my wife's next to me. What is she going to think? So I started kind of like this. 
I mean, I, I wasn't sure if she thought I was weird. Like, I don't know if I'd ever seen her do it before. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. And there came, there comes a point where you have to stop worrying about what other people think. To worship God with abandon means that we don't worry about what the person down the aisle is going to think of us. If we start tapping our foot, if we raise our hand, if we get a little bit of a dance move going on, if we drop down to our knees. Worshiping with abandon means we don't worry about what the other people think about us. We don't worry about, oh, they're going to wonder what's going on in my life. Now we have an opportunity to worship the creator of the universe. And no longer does anybody else's opinion matter. Because they're not the audience. We worship to an audience of one. The almighty God. Third thing with worship, third guideline, is that we worship God with intimacy. We worship God with intimacy. Psalm 27. David is going through a season that some of you are going through right now. You feel like, man, I'm just going through the ringer. Like life, life is hard. Life is, is difficult. David says that there are evil people, evil doers who are assailing him. David said there are evil who are eating his flesh. That sounds really bad. I hope you don't have any flesh eating disease going on or whatever's going on for you. But this is where David, David says there's an army encamped against me. That war has risen against him. David's going through that life where life is crumbling. Some of you know exactly what, you're talking, what he's talking about. Where you feel like this life right now is being shaken. And here's what David says in Psalm 27 verse 4. He says, one thing have I asked of the Lord. That I will seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. I mean, David is completely discouraged. He feels like everything is crumbling around him. And his, his, his prayer, the one thing he could ask God for, the one thing that will make everything all right, is to dwell with God. To have an intimacy with him. That's my prayer for you this morning. Is that you would have one desire. My prayer is that you would experience an intimacy with Jesus. Because when you have that, man, it is such a, a beautiful thing. It is such a beautiful thing to experience that intimacy with God. Now, as we start talking worship, I know sometimes we come to worship and we say, well, you know, I really want to worship God. I really want to worship him, but I, I just don't feel it right now. I'm just not, not, I'm just not feeling it. Listen, let me, let, me, let me let you in on a little secret. Worship isn't based on a feeling. Feelings follow obedience. Do you understand how that works? I mean, rarely, rarely are we going to get the feeling like, man, I'm ready for worship. Man, I, I'm so excited. I, I just want to worship. You don't ever really kind of get that feeling on a regular basis. Listen, God is worthy of your worship, whether you feel it or not, right? I mean, do you believe that? Do you believe that God is worthy of worship, whether you feel it or not? I mean, I mean if, if he is the I am, if he is the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, if he is the, the, the king of kings and the lord of lords, listen, he is worthy of her worship whether you feel it or not. And the message from that song today is, Oh, come, 
Let us adore him. And that's what I invite you to do this morning. I want us to say, oh, come, let us worship him. Let us worship him this morning with complete awe of how great he is. Let us worship him with abandon. But we'll lift our hands. We'll drop to our knees and not worry about what anybody else is going to think of us. Let us worship him with intimacy where we can feel that, that close personal relationship with him. We're going to have an opportunity. We're going to sing three songs. Three songs that have been meaningful to us as a church this past year. The first one is, is isn't he? Isn't he? When I think about those songs. That song, it's a great reminder of who he is. Isn't he beautiful? Isn't he powerful? It's a reminder for us that we can have awe towards him because he is. He is worthy. We're going to sing the song, Do It Again. It's one of my favorite songs. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I find I have a short memory. We're like, I know God has shown up in the past. I know God has done marvelous things in my life in the past. But I kind of go through and I'm kind of like, God, did you forget? It's not him that's forgot. It's me that's forgotten. And I love this song because it's a reminder. Hey, listen, God has done it once and God will do it again. God will show up at just the right time. Third song we're going to sing, Death Was Arrested. A beautiful song, a reminder that Jesus rose from the grave with our freedom in hand so we can be free. So what I want to ask you to do right now, I want you to do something a little different. I want you to stand up. This is going to be something that's a little different for us. I I don't know if you've ever done this. I'm going to ask you just to trust me. Every one of you, would you stand up with us? And as you stand, I I want to pray Psalm 141 over us. Psalm 141 says, O Lord, I call upon you. Hasten to me. Give ear to my voice when I call you. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you. And the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. You see, when we lift our hands, when we lift our hands, it represents two things. It represents victory and surrender. It represents both those things. When we lift our hands, it is celebrating the empty tomb. That there is, is victory in Jesus. And when we lift our hands, it's saying, Jesus, I surrender myself to you. I, I surrender right now. God, I depend on you. So I'm going to ask everyone in this room, would you just lift your hands with me right now? Put your hands up with abandon. Keep your hands up. We're going to lift the name of Jesus because he is worthy of worship with our whole heart.